Welcome to the Bulwark Podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. I always think about uh, historians going back through a time capsule and trying to figure out what the hell was going on in America in December of 2022, 2020, and finding this this podcast and going, hey, what what was happening on the boat? What were, what were they talking about? December 8th, 2020. And the answer is we were talking about my pillow guy. We were talking about Ted Cruz. We're talking about these crazy ass <laughs> tweets from the Arizona Republican Party. You know, it's December 8th. So our, our guest is A.B. Stoddard, who joins me. A.B., thanks for coming on. I appreciate it very much. Sorry for giggling before no, you okay. interrupt me, Charlie. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, think about it. You know, Earth 2.0, and I, I've used this before. Earth 2.0, December 8th. 2020 is the day that uh, under federal law, it's the safe harbor day for electoral college votes. All the states have certified. Joe Biden has been elected president. It's all over. Right. I mean, and it will be like all seriously over on on December 14th. And in a rational, normal constitutional republic, we would be moving on. We would be dealing with a pandemic. We'd be wishing the new president, you know, good, good luck instead. We are in the process of losing our minds. You know, I wrote, okay, I'm, I have to do this. Okay. So I wrote a book called How the Right Lost Its Mind. I had no idea it would become this completely batshit crazy and deranged. All right. I, I once wrote a book called A Nation of Victims. I never thought that the president of the United States, a Republican, would be saying, We're all victims. I'm a victim. We're a country of victims. I wrote a book, believe it or not, called Dumbing Down Our Kids. But I never thought America would become this dumb. I'm sorry. I, I said it. So I want to talk about what the hell's going on with uh, with Ted Cruz, who is remarkable. Um, oh, breaking news. Since we're recording this, you're I'm, most surprising, least surprising news of the day. Jenna Ellis has coronavirus. Okay. <laughs> you're gobsmacked. Yeah, the uh, the elite strike force team leading the efforts uh, to prove um that they're willing to lie to the public in TV interviews and press conferences about uh, evidence that they don't have because they never end up presenting it in court is now riddled with coronavirus. Giuliani and his son, and now Jenna Ellis. Um, I hope she feels well, but she apparently attended one of these super spreader indoor event Christmas parties for senior staff at the White House on Friday. So people there are a little nervous. What what could possibly go wrong? So what's going on under the big top of this circus? You know what I'm saying here? It's just uh, speaking of the circus, the carnival came to town here in Wisconsin on um, on Monday, where the My Pillow guy, what's his name, Mike Lindell or anything? I'm just yes, Mike Lindell. Okay, who who turns out amazingly to be a complete raving lunatic. He was down in Georgia over the weekend saying that, hey, we're going to overturn the election. All it takes is, you know, one state legislature in Georgia overturning the election, and then Pennsylvania overturns the election, and then Michigan overturns the election, and Donald Trump is our president. It's like, whoa, okay, yes. Um, This made as much sense as you'd expect from this guy. So he's on a bus tour, gets on a bus, goes from Georgia to Madison, Wisconsin, and I should mention that Madison, Wisconsin is about as uh, left-leaning Democratic as you can get. I, I, I think it's like 98% <laughs> Democratic. So they chose to do their march for Trump in Madison, Wisconsin. And of course, they feature My Pillow Guy. And this is what My Pillow Guy had to say in Madison, freaking Wisconsin. And I knew God had chosen him for such a time as this. And. And by the way, he didn't choose him for two for one term. He cho- chose him for eight years. And, and then, and then. 
I don't know, Ab. I I am I'm not a theologian, but I'm really curious about his theological explanation of what happens when Joe Biden becomes president, where where God fits in there. Can you help me with that? Yeah, um, I've I've been struck because he's not the only one. I've seen some pastors of some churches telling their flock that this is also going to come to pass the second term of Donald Trump and um, that it's God's will. So it's gonna be a little problematic in 2021 when that doesn't work out very well. And it's also sort of of a piece of a lot of kind of um, man on the street outside the rally interviews that journalists do with maskless um, Trump supporters who when asked about the COVID threat um, say that if they get it, God will take care of them as if God is not going to take care of other people who get COVID, unfortunately, 200, more than 283,000 of whom have died. Um, and it reminds me of a George Carlin quote about how athletes always say that God just, you know, came within them when they're victors, but they never seem to mention that he had other plans for them when things go wrong. And neither do politicians. So we've heard this from Sarah Palin and lots of people over the years that they've been called. And George Lindell, I mean, Mike Lindell is either running for some kind of office um, and thinks that he's, you know, really got a new perch from Fox News to the Trump grievance tour um, in the lame duck months of 2020, or he's just uh, really completely lost his mind and is going to just absolutely torpedo his reputation and likely his pillow business. Uh, to join the ranks of Sidney Powell and Wood and I, I think the other COVID Jeremy yeah. people. So speaking of, of Sidney Powell and Lynn Wood and Rudy Giuliani and Jenna Ellis and the My Pillow guy, this is the carnival. It it is this clown car that always seems to be trailing Donald Trump. I mean, I mean, it's just it's it, it's almost like the you, you you take the absurdities of the Trump year and then you, you they go to the writers and say, can you make this even more cartoonish? <laughs> can you make it even just the most bizarre thing? How Donald Trump invariably attracts and powers just the looniest, most imbecilic, often incompetent people around him. I mean, it really is amazing when you're the president of the United States and you're a billionaire. Shouldn't you e- e- at least be able to attract people that can pretend to be competent and not crazy? Right. And it's it maybe he doesn't want them to be more sort of smithy, spiffy and smart than he is. And he sort of likes when they're freakish or slovenly or, you know, I don't know, Steve Bannon or Roger Stone-ish or whatever. But it's always creepy and weird, the collective of them. And then someone like Giuliani, of course, is the tragedy because he was this, you know, you, you've mentioned this, you know, like had he perished at some other stage in his life, uh, the man would, you know, be this like serious icon and he's so sad. And now we literally have stock photo of him forever with hair dye coming down both cheeks at the same time in perfect, perfect form. I mean, it's truly, as we've said, like you, if you wrote the script and you and you tried to use it for SNL or some other really bad movie, people would say, you know, you've you've lost your mind. Like your TDS has gone into overdrive, and you no longer are in reality. These people are too clownish and just too too sad. So SNL actually did a spoof of that uh, 
of the of the woman in Michigan, the apparently overserved woman in Michigan who's doing her, her her thing. And I'm watching it going, you know, actually, here's the problem. It's not that much worse than she was herself. That that's the that's the problem. They're beyond parody. Now, part of this is is hilarious, and part of it is scary. And part of the scary part is that there are a lot of people, and I mean this on two different levels. Let's start with political. You know, there are a lot of people in, in MAGA world who have come to believe this in this time in the last month, have come to deeply believe that this election is being stolen. They they genuinely seem to think that Donald Trump is entitled to be president and that some of them, many of them think he will be president. And 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 they're, and they're getting themselves worked up. So Lou Dobbs, I think, is crazy. Don't get me wrong here. But he he had an exchange here with uh Stephen Miller the the humunculus uh immigration aid to the, the the president and it really is a perfect example of sort of the deranged versus the demented in in Trump world but you can tell that Lou Dobbs deeply believes that this election has been stolen from Donald Trump let's play a little bit of this Lou, Lou Dobbs on um Mr Miller Republicans do nothing Stephen nothing it's it's what it's, in it's hell an outrage is wrong it's, Right. Well, what's wrong with and, the Republican Party? Where is the outrage? It's really on the tens of millions, tens of millions of ballots. Where the hell are the Republicans? No, no signature checks. Where the hell are the yeah. Republicans? You're right, Where Lou. Are they? Tens of millions of ballots nationwide. No signature checks. No citizenship checks. No residency checks. No age checks. No criminal record checks. Not even checking if you're alive or dead. Are we a third world country? Are we a banana republic? What has it come to? If Did you count ever, only legal ballots yeah, well, I, from U.S. citizens, let me tell you what this president to. gets four more years. Let me, and, 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 you know, from your lips to God's ears, uh, the reality is that this president right now is fighting, and let's be straightforward about it. He's fighting all alone. And Ted Cruz has stepped up to say he'll argue before the Supreme Court. Why on God's green earth wouldn't the White House jump on it? Why shouldn't they and, accept and, that right now? And I'll just say this one other thing, though. If three state legislatures, I just outlined, one correction in no, Wisconsin. No, no, Stephen, I won't let you say I'm not going to let you do this. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you do that. I ask a question. You and I, we're reasonably smart and decent fellows. Yeah, no. Why don't you answer me? That's all I'm asking here, Stephen. Why don't you guys jump and salute Ted Cruz and say, yes, we want you on the team now. My God, this is not a time for internecine nonsense on the part of the Republican Party, which is watching its blood drain into the streets because they're gutless. The, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That is like, take the lunacy, inject it right in your veins there. Answer me why. Well, maybe it's because Ted Cruz is never going to get in front of the Supreme Court, and it's a completely absurd idea that the Ted, by the way, whatever that happened to Ted Cruz, Ted Cruz volunteering to go and argue a case before the Supreme Court. And I am, I'm not, I'm not exaggerating this calls for the Supreme Court to disenfranchise 7 million voters, throw out 7 million votes and just wipe out the election in the state of Pennsylvania. And Ted Cruz is like me, I, I want to do that because I strict constitute strict constructionist believer in the restraint of the judiciary, right? I, don't, I hate activist judges, and I want the Supreme Court to throw out the entire state of Pennsylvania's presidential election. Ted Cruz? 
Yeah, and he went on Hannity and said that he hoped that he's imploring the Supreme Court to take it up, but he he feels that the the judges are trying to avoid this to protect their credibility, and he used and then he said to protect their backside or something, but he actually let the word credibility come out, uh, which means that he yeah. parted with his, and he feels just fine about that. Yeah, no, it's this is. Just tracing the decline of the conservative movement, you could just track certain people, Ted Cruz, Dinesh D'Souza, and just, you know, from from being, you know, quasi reasonable at one time, serious people who become completely clown like. And before we move on to more serious, um, you know what a MAGA life coach is? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm, I'm sorry. That was a trick question. Yes, yeah, it's just so unfortunate that this exists, but um, let's enlighten the audience. Yeah, okay, because I, I, I want to introduce you to uh, one uh, Brendan Dilley, who di- who describes himself as a MAGA life coach, and he does a podcast, that thing called The Dilley Show, and in the background, there's a sign, House MAGA, there's another <laughs> sign, hashtag MAGA, and he's wearing a, a hat that reads, can you guess, MAGA, <laughs> and... He uh, he he is he's one of these people that absolutely totally believes that Donald Trump is going to stay in the White House. And I, I think this is important that there are people who who e- even though it's December 8th and the Electoral College votes are, you know, it's the safe harbor day. The, you know, it's 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 official official. He really believes that Donald Trump is going to stick around. So let, let's play this. This is a uh, MAGA life coach, Brendan Dilley. He is not going anywhere. Democrats that watch this show, liberals that like to spam and shit post and trolls, you better fucking prepare yourselves for the next four and a half years because you're going to get Trump. You're going to get Trump one way or the other. So I don't know what your contingency plans are for this reality, but you better start making them now because it's inevitable. He's not going to leave. He's not going anywhere. Those of us that voted for Donald Trump, somewhere between 74 and 80 million American patriots are more than prepared to do everything, and I mean fucking everything, to preserve our constitutional republic and to protect our president. And what you got to ask yourself is, do you feel the same exact way about Joe Biden? Because if you don't, you don't have a fucking prayer. So you can tell that he's all about the constitutional republic. (laughs) Um, I'm sorry, Ted Cruz is going to be this guy in four years. It's just but, you know, it's like we're prepared to do anything. And, of course, you have the – did you see the Arizona GOP tweet this morning? Yeah, there's a martyr call going around, and it's a little frightening, Charlie. Yeah, it's like, are you prepared to die for your president? I think they deleted it at some point when people said, okay, are things getting out of hand. Okay, so we've been joking around about this, but I got to tell you, I do genuinely think this is is scary. And I – and I talked about this on television yesterday, you know, after this this demonstration in in Michigan, where this this armed crowd shows up at the private residence of the secretary of state, uh, secretary of state in Michigan, you know, yelling obscenities, chanting, stop the steal. And, and again, people are show up and they're they're armed. What's scary? First, I look, I'm a, I'm a supporter of the a Second Amendment. I'm all for the Second Amendment. But when you show up at somebody's house with a gun, is there any other purpose other than to bully and to intimidate? And and this is what the point I'm trying to make here. These people, there are a lot of folks in the MAGA world who honestly, generally don't do not realize this election is over. They do not understand that Joe Biden is the president elect. They really deeply believe 
that somehow God is going to put Donald Trump back in the White House, that Donald Trump will, will have a, of a second term. And so at some point when reality strikes, it's going to be a shock for them. How are they going to react? It's been scary, but I'm telling you, I think the worst is yet to come. I, I agree with you, and you've been making this point for several days, and it, it's opened my eyes, uh, combined with the fact that the officials in Michigan are telling us that the death threats there, and, I, and it's probably nationally, are increasing with each passing certification of swing states and um, each door shutting on Trump's opportunity to continue his PR uh, campaign. And I am, I mean, the, the Arizona State Party tweet is is beyond anything we could have ever believed would happen. It wasn't, you know, one sort of passing glib comment. They they called, they used a quote from Rambo about, you know, are you going to live for nothing or die, and die for, or, or die for something? And then when someone wrote back that they were willing to, to they were ready, the, the, the second tweet came saying, um, he's ready, are you? And Brendan Dilley, who, by the way, if he was a good life coach, I think he would be giving us the tools to embrace a new reality, but he's not interested in that either. Um, telling us that, uh, that if you are not prepared to accept that Donald Trump's going to stick around, you need to be prepared for everything, effing everything, is a clear call to violence. And, and it is... There are a lot of people, as you say, Charlie, who believe this and have been radicalized, but there are other people who know that what Trump is saying is not true. And they're they're staying silent. They're not, um, I, I don't know who got on the phone to the Arizona State GOP if they indeed have pulled their tweet, but it's too late. And um, Gabriel Sterling in Georgia, who works for Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State, you know, gave that impassioned plea last week. Uh, to, he called out the president and senators and said anyone who has not said a damn word is complicit in this and basically said that they've inspired violence. These people's lives are in danger that worked the election um, in, in a, in a you know, patriotic and, and honest way. And there was no response. There was no response to the 46 minute uh, delusional propaganda video from the White House. Well, well no, um, your, and, then, and then Gabriel, there was no response to Gabriel Sterling. Yeah, well, G Gabriel Sterling said, we need to dial down this rhetoric. This is dangerous. You are feeding into this. People are making threats. You may have acts of violence. And the response was that 46-minute speech by the president. Not only did the president not step right. back and go, hey, maybe I ought to be concerned about the message that I'm putting out there. He doubled down on it. Yeah. And then, of course, as you point out, the usual suspects in the Republican Party had nothing to say about it. Zero. It, it's and it, it, they're just completely complicit. And while Lou Dobbs, God love him, if you watch that clip, it's scarier than listening to it because his eyes are bulging and he's clearly frustrated with Stephen Miller, who is doing his usual sort of shtick where he's like half laughing with those you know crazy lines and his manic delivery. But as you said, Lou is he's down there in the tunnel and he's holding on for dear life, but he truly believes that this is the fight. And, and he is, he's mad at Republicans who have completely protected Trump by being silent. Right. And he wants more. He wants them he to wants do more. this head cruise. I'm going to take all my clothes off and run around with my beer belly offering to defend you without evidence at the Supreme court. He, and, and he doesn't understand that the silence is, is, he doesn't think it's enough, whereas we know that the silence is potentially inspiring violence. 
Well, and this, we didn't be very clear about this. I mean, obviously the legal challenges have failed miserably every single day. There's another federal or state court that just slam dunks the Kraken. I mean, I mean and I, when I say that, you know, slam dunks them, it's not just that they've lost 49, 50 cases, the, the Trump team. They have lost them in the most humiliating possible way with the judges saying how flimsy and absurd and imbecilic these these filings are there is no evidence whatsoever um every time they have come into court and they've been asked do you have evidence of fraud it has completely fallen apart um their expert witnesses uh have been discredited so right now in at least in terms of the court system it has been a complete disaster for trump so they've now moved on to rather nakedly pushing this in broad daylight coup which is to call up various state legislators and pressure governors to have the legislatures come in and nullify the election, overturn the election. This is something that would have been unthinkable even a few months ago. I mean, it, it, just, it, just, it is so bizarre. So the question becomes, if you do honestly believe that this election has been stolen, it's an act of fraud, you know, and you're one of these, you know, heavily armed got people who go out there and, you know, and scream MAGA and everything. And you you can't win in court. The legislatures refuse to violate the law and overturn the election. And Donald Trump is not the president. What are you going to do? How many sociopaths does it take for something really bad to happen? It only takes one. And that's what's so terribly frightening. And I, I think that the the people who uh, have had to who have had to take this tough stands, as you say, conjure up some kind of courage that was never supposed to be associated with their job, which means following the law. Um, the the ones that have had to tell the truth are are, are going to be in the crosshairs for a really long time, well, and that's um, Doug Ducey, the governor of Arizona, who Kelly Ward, who runs the state party, Republican Party of Arizona, um, told to uh, shut the hell up with her um, hashtag on Twitter a week ago. Um, they're all going to be in the crosshairs of um, of MAGA world from leadership like Kelly Ward down to the voters. And uh, and and it's and they're going to continue to be inspired by whatever Trump says um, in terms of. The, the, so when, once this kind of TV show of election fake election fraud ends, he's going to go on to retribution. And once once they get on to retribution, everyone's going to follow and 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 Republicans are going to they're going to pay for that. This is what I wanted to talk to you about. You had a piece in the bulwark yesterday that got a lot of attention. What if Trump is trying to break the GOP and you write that the future of the Republican Party is going to be an endless series of loyalty tests and Trump family vendettas. Good luck with that. This is this is the new circle of Trumpian hell, isn't it? And the Republicans, have they realized yet what they're in for by by staying in silence? Have, have I don't think so. So I sort of picture these two groups right now. One is the Brendan Dilley and everyone, you know, in, in the MAGA world who are angry, the stop the steal crowd, and they have rage. Then you have the fearful, worried, silent, complicit establishment Republicans who are on mute because they are trying to protect two Republican incumbent Senate seats in Georgia before the runoffs on January 5th because they want power and they want to hold the majority in the Senate. So they won't say anything about Trump's fake election fraud and the danger to democracy and the danger, the physical danger to, to human beings that it's posing. So this fear on one side and this anger on the other 
is the absolute perfect combination for Trump, which is going to break the Republican Party. He feeds off of it. He loves the attention. People are fighting over him. He will continue to fight in every different direction. So he's been fighting the Democrats and, and the media. Now he's going to go on to the Biden administration. But the Republicans will take center stage now, the ones that wouldn't be weren't corruptible and wouldn't steal the election for him and join him in pulling off a coup. They, the retribution tour gets him attention, keeps him in the news and fuels his, you know, his needs essentially. And so that's why I don't think Republicans have thought this through that giving him time to sort of chill out while they actually just are silent because they want those Senate seats is building the anger and the stop the steal crowd. And it's, it's, really giving Trump a lot of energy. And he is going to use it, I think, to break the party. And I don't think that he means to. I just think that that's the, no, that's the is... likely outcome of two camps where their goals are in total conflict. Trump needs the attention. He's a destroyer. He doesn't want to be president again or lead a party. He just wants attention. And they want to take the, quote, movement he started and all the, quote, energy in the base that they think they have after this election from him and go on to keep winning and they can't without him. And he doesn't, he's not going to help them win swing voters. He's going to destroy them and they're going to be holding this bag for the next three years. This is the brilliant point. I think that you make here that, that, that Donald Trump is never going to give up being the center of this storm and Republicans, this is what you wrote. Republicans don't seem to be capable of understanding where this eventually leads. So let me spell it out for them. Trump is going to destroy their party, not because he wants to, or even because he's trying to, but because the destruction of the GOP will be required in order to fill his psychological needs. And this is the, the thing about Donald Trump. And it's it's you know the people who are always you know talking about the four dimensional chess or the the you know the strategery or whatever, the the fact is that everything that he does is driven by these psychological needs to be at the center of it, of attention, and that's not going to change. You know, in a lot of ways, you know, leaving the White House liberates Donald Trump now, doesn't it? Because it it means that he can spend all of his time on his vendettas and his feuds and and his Twitter feed because he won't have a job anymore. He won't be held responsible for anything. There will be nothing that he actually needs to do uh, or fail at or succeed at. All he needs to do is service his his juvenile psychology. It, it's It's so stunning. I mean, to think about that, Charlie, I said in the piece, Republicans will realize that he doesn't give a hoot about judges. Like, he doesn't need to make the federal society happy anymore. He doesn't need to send, you know, seniors fake checks for their drugs because they're mad at him over his outright dismissal of the coronavirus. Uh, he he doesn't need to worry be about evangelicals um, and and come up with executive orders about religious liberty to to keep them happy. He doesn't want to be president again. He wants to pretend he's going to be president again. And he just wants to stay on that vendetta tour and stay in the spotlight and stay on TV. So you're right. He's he's not going to listen to Mitch McConnell. He's not going to have talks where people, you know, bring him down off the top of the ladder where he's throwing things. That was the last four years. This is going to be um, just, just a totally new time. A different Rubicon has been crossed and, and Republicans just they haven't grasped that that you know the the voters that are going to be following the the Trump the martyr the post-election martyr because he was robbed they're not interested in in Mike Pence's 
um, you know, theory of government or Mike Pompeo's confrontations of the Russians and the Chinese or Josh Hawley's interest in big tech at all. They want to protect Donald Trump and yeah. they want to they want to punish people who who didn't stand by him. And he's going to let them know every day who didn't stand by him. And, 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 and speaking of which, that will mean anyone who ever acknowledges that he lost the election, right? Any of them, any of them, that, any of them that, that cooperate in any way with Joe Biden, he will attack them. So you mentioned Mike Pence. This is interesting to me because and I, and I wrote about this in my newsletter today. It's clear the dead enders are not are going to push this thing into the new year. And um, normally on a little bit of wonkery here on January 6th, they have a joint session of Congress presided over by the vice president. It's normally ritualistic. It's normally uh, just pro forma where they open up the they count the Electoral College ballots and then the vice president uh, you know, gavels down and names who the new president is. Well, under the federal law, if one member of the House and one member of the Senate object to any state's electoral votes, they can force a debate and a floor vote in both the House of Representatives and in the Senate. It's pretty obvious that that Republicans will have somebody that will do this in the House and probably maybe say Ted Cruz or Josh Hawley. They'll jump up and they'll object um, in this. This will go nowhere because the the Congress is not going to vote to throw out millions of people's votes. But this becomes another vote, another loyalty test. But the reason I'm bringing this up Vice President Pence presides over this. Now, Michael Beschloss, the Michael Michael Beschloss, the historian's been tweeting out pictures of former vice presidents in awkward situations. 1961, Richard Nixon has to declare that John F. Kennedy has been elected president of the United States, which he does gracefully. Uh, in 2001, you have Al Gore, vice president of the United States, sitting up there. Gavels in said he declares that George W. Bush is elected president of the United States, which had to be very tough for him. So the question is, will Mike Pence do that on January 6th, 2021? And if he does, what does it mean? What happens? I um, <laughs> Charlie's somewhere panicked about it right now. I remember that week uh, so well of of Al Gore uh, exiting the stage after that fight, and and he had, you know, uh, substantive objections, and and it was a real dispute, and and it ended, and he said, "I'm, while I disagree with um, with the outcome, I'm going to accept it," and then he gave this beautiful speech for you know quite a dull man that he is, um, talking about shaking the soul and letting the glory out, and. It was just so moving. And then he had to sit there, as you said, and uh, gavel in those results um, in, 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 a, in an act uh, for history, um, an act of patriotism and love of his country and love of our institutions and our, uh, the legislative branch, our checks and balances. And, and um, it, it, it really is the kind of thing that Mike Pence, his whole life has been preparing to do. I mean, he, he's, you know, he's, he, um, he is a patriot. He, until the Trump administration was, uh, you know, Dudley do right and uh, loved our country and his sons in the Marines. And um, it would really hurt him not to do the right thing. But it's very clear at this point that it's, it's not likely he will do the right thing. And if he does the right thing, that'll be the end of him. It'll be the really? last day of political significance ever. If he does his job, if he does what every other vice president has done and just announces the results of the Electoral College, you think that's the last day of 
political viability for Mike Pence? Yeah, because you have to um, you have to say that you can't congratulate and pray for the next president and stand by the results. You have to say that um, you you know you that something has gone wrong here for for the history books for the videotape. You have to be on Trump's side, and Trump just told everyone yesterday in the Oval Office that he won the election. If that's the end of Mike Pence's career, that really tells you something about the moral atmosphere of, of the Republican Party. So let's talk a little bit more about the post-presidency Trump uh, liberated from any actual job or responsibility. And as you point out that, you know, you know, what's waiting for Trump after, you know, the season of election fraud TV ends at some point is that he faces serious legal exposure and this is this is also something that the Republican Party, they bought the ticket. They have to take the ride um, with Trump. Right. There's no there's no off ramp for them, no matter. I mean, they, they have to stick with him no matter what legal shit falls on his head, don't they? Absolutely. And it will be not only a wonderful way for him to, you know, uh, get more attention and be the center of the news. Um, but it will you know, it's it's a it's a it's a stage for his you know, his grievances and, and his open wound that never heals. And he's going to demand that every Republican not only say nice things about him, but they can't say that was unfair questioning by the prosecutor. They have to absolutely defy every fact and, and reality and lie about what really happened, just like they're lying about the election. They they have no choice. And, and so every single uh, development in these in these potent in these investigations and in these charges potential charges potential trials um from uh what happened in the Mueller investigation where he likely obstructed justice and has been credibly accused in that report several instances of that he likely witness tampered he likely lied to bob Mueller and his written answers um about wikileaks and roger stone he has a potential tax fraud um this woman is coming after him uh, in a rape mm. and, and all of these things that are going to pile up and pile up and are going to consume a lot of attention. And every single time anyone who wants to stay um, in, in the cult and, uh, and not be punished, will have to um, really Jim Jordan, every single question. I mean, you know, you, you, you it'll, and Steve Miller, it'll have to be like, super hyperbolic power lying um this is not only untrue but you know he's the most scorned person ever and no presidents ever no ex-presidents ever have to go through this and this is the dirtiest prosecutor we've ever you know seen in american history it'll right. always be like that because if you want to stay in the tent otherwise you're you're going to be punished and and right. that's um that's a serious trap that they know is coming and um <laughs> It's not like it's going to be a surprise. We've known for years what was going to face Donald Trump, all these debts and all of this legal exposure when he left office. And it's one of the reasons he wanted to stay in office. And they better be prepared. Yeah, the the, the trial of Donald Trump will be the trial of the trial of OJ for the, the 2020s. It'll be <laughs> it will be consuming. Now, I say that with mixed feelings because I'm among those who believe that Donald Trump should not be above the law, that he should be held accountable. I'm hoping that the state's attorney generals and, uh, and district attorneys pursue him vigorously. I think this guy needs to be 
um, needs to be brought to justice. On the other hand, I also understand how any trial, any charges against him will be used to feed his grievance movement, that he will play the victim card and that the base will rally around him as a martyr for whatever MAGA is supposed to stand for these days. I just wonder about the level of exhaustion of the rest of us. As you point out that the Republican Party has no choice. They have to stick with him. And long term, and I know the Republicans are feeling pretty good about themselves right now because they did pretty well in the 2020 elections. It's kind of hard to see how they win voters back. And you raise also questions about whether or not non-Trumpian Republicans are going to be able to hold that that little, you know, that that slice of the electorate that Trump was able to get some of some of the African-Americans and the Latino vote that was willing to come out, uh, come off the sidelines and vote for him. I'm not sure that they're going to be voting for Josh Hawley or Tom Cotton. I'm not sure they're going to be turning out in the midterms. I'm not sure that that's a really durable coalition for the Republicans. Right. So 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 they got everything they needed in this election because Trump energizes uh, low propensity voters and that helped them down ballot. And then moderate voters who voted against Trump voted Republican down ballot. So it was a, it was really a perfect storm in the, in a good way. What happens in 2022 is if you have Laura Trump challenging Congressman, ex-Congressman Mark Walker in North Carolina for the Senate seat of retiring, then retiring Senator Richard Burr, you have a Trumpkin primary fight she could win. And then what if she doesn't win the general election? What if Brian Kemp is challenged by uh, Doug Collins in, uh, in Georgia in 2022 for governor, like President Trump asked him to uh, at the rally the other night, then um, that is likely to favor um, uh, Stacey Abrams or a Democrat in, in a state that Biden just won. Then you, you look at, um, you know, so you look across the board at what that will do if if the Trumpkin candidates are winning primaries, and they're dominating parlor and Twitter and 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 fundraising, but they can't win over swing voters. And Trump is up there; he's not on the ballot. He's still in the news as the presumptive 2024 nominee. He'll say that every day. So every Republican's on bended knee with the stop the steal and the election was stolen and the denying reality thing. So that bleeds swing voters, but. In the meantime, are they going to get the Trump devotee mm-hmm. who turned out in 2016 and 2020, but not 2018? I don't think so. Yeah. So it, so he has this, he's frozen the party, but then he's really going to destroy it because he he's, it's only going to be about fighting. No one's going to unite in any kind of shared, you know, vision on policy or problem solving. And it's just, it has to remain a cult of Trump. And that now that he's into this authoritarian um, law breaking, democracy destroying coup stage, which could inspire violence, is just way too dangerous for Republicans to associate with if they want to remain a viable party. Well, the one thing that will unite the Republican Party, though, and something they're relatively good at is being in opposition. Right. So the, the unifying factor will be stop Joe Biden, destroy his presidency, make sure that Biden's a failure, which, of course, then raises the question, what does all this mean about the Biden presidency? I mean, I think that I think Joe Biden's been doing a pretty good job putting together his cabinet. I think he might have had a little stumble with the secretary of defense. We'll we'll leave that aside for the moment. But um, he's coming in to Washington as somebody who has talked about, you know, healing the soul of America, uh, moving past partisan tribalism. And he's walking into this. So 
What, what does this mean for a Biden presidency? This this really intelligent, experienced, decent man coming into an environment that's been shaped and warped by Donald Trump. Well, you know, Joe Biden um, is very aware uh, of the challenges that he faces, and it's really not going to be a time of uh, great change. He's hoping to stabilize the country, and he really has these two emergencies, which is to crush the virus and uh, stabilize the economy. And and his party is trying to push him, you know, to do all these other things, and he's not going to have the votes to do it. That he has the relationships and the know-how to handle the tasks of governing in Washington, which means getting spending bill, de- deals through and stuff like that. I think he's likely to get um, some behind the scenes cooperation on s- negotiations on some of his um, confirmations, for example, because of his relationships. Mm-hmm. Not a lot of that will surface in the press. Uh, but in terms of an agenda, he will be facing all of those senators we named. So senators wanting to run for president, Cruz, Cotton, um, uh, Rick Scott of Florida, and Holly, and then you know, pressure from the outside, Mike Pompeo, um, Nikki Haley, and on and on, Ron DeSantis. Um, so he's going to be facing a party trying to to basically make sure he has a, a very weakened and inconsequential presidency. And it's really going to depend on, um, you know, how much he resists uh, trying to set up Kamala Harris for a, you know, a nomination in 2024 or whether he just says to, you know, I'm the bridge and I'm just trying to survive. If he worries about the party, he's probably going to have problems. Interestingly enough, uh, I was reading some of Dave Wasserman of Cook Political Report, and he has sort of an interesting perspective, which is that the it's it's the the mid the first midterm of a president a, a first term of a presidency is not likely to be as bad for Biden because as it was in like 2018 2010 because there's not likely to be unified control by one party and even mm. if those two Georgia seats go to the Democrats it'll be such a weak 50-50 majority it's kind of like divided government they won't have been able to pass any uh, big big uh, bold changes and there won't be as much energy also the people that turn out in, in that electorate are likely to be voting for Democrats and, uh, and not, you know, it's likely to be uh, college educated voters and that, um, the, you know, those Trump um, voters are not likely to turn out in 2022. So they might not face a terrible midterm, but, you know, just look at the, the crisis that we're in and, and the debt that we're facing and, and the vote margins that he has. It's just, you know, even without the Republican um uh, Republicans coming, you know, at him and obstructing him, the Democrats are going to barely be able to get anything off the ground. So I think he's just looking for stasis and some kind of progress on the virus and the economy that Americans can measure in a year and a half, where no, they can say things got better. I think I think you're right. You know, and actually listening to you, a, a thought occurs to me, though, that one of the big challenges, of course, is going to be deal with the coronavirus and the success of the vaccination program, which is a massive logistical effort and if, if if you if if we go back to your point about that everything is driven by trump's psychological needs let's you know sort of put this as the overlay if trump uh if trump 
you know, Trump really wants to get all the credit for the the, the vaccine. He, you know, it was a oh, yeah. McEnany was was saying that they should call it the Trump vaccine. And if that doesn't happen, just watch the way he turns against vaccine, how he joins with the anti-vaxxers. So psychologically, if he thinks that he's going to get credit for the success, he'll behave differently than if he thinks he's not getting credit for the success. And that has tremendous, un- tragically, tremendous implications for uh, the, the success of the vaccination program and of, of, the, of the Biden presidency. So I don't know. We will see on that. I, I'm having a um, sort of the creeping dread that the Tea Party, which morphed into MAGA, is in the process of, of morphing into an anti-vax movement despite the fact that Trump himself in public um, is expressing support for the vaccine. But we know how those things change, don't we? Charlie, that will be the measure of the depth of the cult because he's been anti-science except for the vaccine. He's been anti-tracing, anti-testing, and anti-mask, but he's been pro-vaccine and even started working on it with Moderna, according to his daughter's Twitter feed on January 13th of this year, which means while he was still lying to us for months about the virus, he was working on the vaccine. But if he turns against the vaccine and then his supporters who were excited that he Operation Warp Speed, you know, the fastest thing ever, the biggest, you know, government accomplishment of the Trump administration, it'll go down the history books. If they go from excited to turning against the vaccine in in considerable numbers, you know, that will show us, you know, the power of his persuasion. And, And it's it's a serious danger for this country if we we already have a confidence problem as it is with the vaccine and we just can't afford to lose any more uh, and have only, you know, 38 percent of the country take the vaccine or something. It just would yes. be a tragedy. A.B. Stoddard, thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate it. A.B. Stoddard is, of course, an associate editor and columnist at Real Clear Politics and a contributor to The Bulwark. A.B., thank you for being so generous with your time today. It's always great to be with you, Charlie. Thank you. And thank you for listening to today's Bulwark podcast. I'm Charlie Sykes. We'll be back tomorrow and we will do this all over again.